Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome, everybody, to Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. I'm Jason Zone Fisher. Ralph, how you doing over there in Virginia? All is well on the East Coast. How about on the West Coast? Hey, it's hot here in L.A., but I'm staying cool in the air conditioning watching the NBA playoffs. They've been a lot of fun having four games every single day for the past week plus. Uh, definitely help pass the time of quarantine, that's for sure. And it, there's been some excitement. So today's What's New, What's Good. Let's get right into it. The NBA playoffs are both new and good. Uh, a lot to talk about here, Ralph. First, the Philadelphia 76ers, Joel Embiid, I know he's someone you had you know, high expectations for to take his game to the next level. Four and out, they are swept and done. Is this the end of the Philadelphia 76ers? It is definitely the end. You know, the first time Philadelphia has ever been swept in a series, supposedly. Wow. Way, way back when, so... Yeah, I mean, the Boston Celtics are a very good team, and uh, some people say they may be able to make a run all the way to the NBA Finals. So it definitely was not a good matchup for Philly. Losing Ben Simmons hurts, but likely there will be some changes uh, that are going to be made to the Philadelphia 76ers in the coming days and weeks. Well, the, the salary, the salaries are so high that they got no choice but to blow it out. You got four or five guys, $25 million and more. They can't play together. Uh, you know, Ben Simmons out, but he wouldn't help them that much to get swept. So yeah, you can look for new faces in, in uh, Philadelphia. You know, they'll trade somebody, get somebody new. Yeah. And they wrapped up, as you said, a lot of money in Tobias Harris and Al Horford, who are, are great people. Uh, but uh, do you want to give them max salary slots at this stage in their career? It, Can't. It's, yeah. Yeah. Clearly isn't working uh, in Philadelphia, so the process continues. Well, and, and nobody, want, nobody, no other team is going to want those salaries. I mean, I mean, Al Herford, the great guy. I mean, he was in Boston, and he got rid of him in Boston, right? So, you know, he's on the last leg of his career. So, get all the money you can, and you know, be be a good vet and sit on the bench and hang out. And I kept thinking that matchup between Boston and Philadelphia, the Sixers just getting killed by Jason Tatum of the Celtics when. He could have been a Philadelphia 76er. You think back of that draft, Boston received a draft pick to get the they they traded their number 1 pick which Philadelphia used to get take Markel Fultz. Boston not only took Jason Tatum but they received another draft pick from Philly. Yeah, Markel Fultz, what a bust, right? I mean, the yeah. number 1 draft pick, you know, the top draft pick and gets there and go through all this stuff he goes through and then he gets traded and 
Yeah, I mean, you know, you got to have people to know what they're doing and do the research, but you never know. You never well, know. I mean, you, you think of Kyle Kuzma, people like that, or, or late round picks, but you got to do your homework. Well, someone who did their homework was the GM of the Dallas Mavericks. And when they traded for Luka Doncic and selected him just two years ago, the man is 21 years old and is taking the NBA by storm. He hit an incredible game winner that we'll see for the rest of his career over the Los Angeles Clippers to tie the series at two. It's shocking to me. I thought maybe he'd be able to will them to one victory, but now we've got a series, and the LA Clippers, who's many people's prediction to go all the way and win the title this season, they are in a dogfight against this 21-year-old phenom, Luka Doncic. Ralph, what are your thoughts about Luka? Well, I mean, the you know, I got to give my um, partner uh, at UVA, Rick Carl, a lot of credit uh, for the coach that he is, but also Don Nelson Jr. They they love foreign players and they do their homework. You know, Don Nelson Sr. You know, was one of the first guys that foreign player over. I played with him in Golden State, well, and you know, they do their homework when it comes to those players. And Luca is, you know, um, I mean, 21 years old and getting triple doubles and plays like that. I was talking to another NBA player yesterday about the play. And normally you switch, you would call it invert. So guys picking down on Luca's man, right? Mm-hmm. And they switch a big on little. Can't do that. And then, yep. so Kwadin should have stayed at the top. They should have denied him the ball because who else is going to go to? Right. And who else is going to kill you? No else in the team will kill you. Porzingis is out. So it's got to go to Luca. I mean, come on, how dumb can you be, Doc Rivers? I mean, just don't even have the ball, but they deserve to lose, and he had an amazing shot. So the Clippers, I think, are in a dogfight, as you said, and I don't know if they'll come out of this series. It's going to be wow. hard for to come out of this series. And, wow. You know, no home, there's no home court advantage. That's true. Normally, series. they'd be going back to L.A. for game five. They're not going anywhere. They're going to the same court no they just court played advantage. game four. None. None whatsoever. Well, it'll be uh, it's really exciting because no one saw this type of a dogfight coming in this series. And Luca, he's he's my early prediction. He's going to be MVP of the NBA next year at age 22. He's that good already. Well, you imagine, you know, the Mavericks were down 21 points in the first two quarters. They were down. Yeah. And they came back. And they got back on top. Then it goes in overtime. So what's that tell you about the Clippers and their mentality? It's tough. It's going to be rough. Well, the Clippers have been trying to just flip a switch. They played the entire regular season just knowing that they would be able to turn it on. They would rest certain guys. Certain guys had different health you know, issues and injuries. But now that they're close to full strength and they're trying to flip the switch, we found it's it's not so easy, You know, especially for Paul George, who has really, really struggled in this postseason so far. Absolutely. Well, there's so many storylines to talk about. We could talk all day, but we've got a great guest on the podcast today joining us from the bubble in Orlando, someone who has had a front row seat to all of the action, covering it for Bleacher Report, the incredible Taylor Rooks. And Taylor is not only an amazing broadcaster, she's a really incredible person as well. She is very outspoken uh, as a leading woman covering sports and as an African-American woman. Uh, she has been, she started her career 
at the Big Ten Network and then went to Sportsnet New York. Uh, from there, Bleacher Report uh, has really where her career has taken off and blossomed. She hosts Take It There with Taylor Rooks, uh, a series for Bleacher Report, and has been in the bubble from the very beginning, covering all the NBA action and excitement, both on the court and these players away from the game. She does a Excellent job of getting to know who these players are away from the game of basketball. Absolutely. She's a great guest and look forward to her chat and conversation interview inside the bubble. But um, I want to get her perspective on kind of how she does it and who she is. I think she's an amazing young lady up and coming in the media world. So looking forward to this interview. Let's get it started. Me too. Let's go to it. Center court, the ball is up. Let's go to the bubble with Taylor Rooks. Thank you first for being here. We really appreciate you taking the time. What is life like in the bubble? You've been there for over a month now? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it feels like I have been here for 20 years. Um, <laughs> I keep telling people like, I feel like I have my own little life in the bubble. It's going to be kind of weird to leave. Um, but I mean, you wake up every day, you take your temperature, you take your pulse, you enter this into an in, like the NBA health app. You make sure that your health status is green, which means that you can leave mm-hmm. your room. And, and whenever you enter into other spaces, there's a band that you tap on this machine and it turns mm-hmm. green saying, okay, you wow. can go in. And if you're green, that means all your vitals were good. You're negative for COVID and all those things. So obviously trying to, to limit the spread and make sure everybody can stay safe. Uh, then you go to a ton of practices. Now we're going to playoff games. You eat, you maybe hang out with some of your friends at the bar. Uh, you can swim, you can fish if you like. So there's definitely different things that you can do, but I've really grown accustomed to, to being here. How's the food? I mean, that would be the main thing, <laughs> hotel food. Or, I mean, yeah. laid it out, I'm sure, no. but how's the food? Yeah. I legitimately think the food is good. No joke. Like, I think that in the beginning, the funny thing was like posting your food and acting like it was bad, but it's not bad. What I think what tripped people up was the presentation. Like everything was in plastic and we had like plastic cutlery. And when you're used to going to restaurants and fine dining, you know, you're like, oh, this is bad. (laughs) But the food is good. I love the chicken parm. One of my favorite things. They had great scalloped potatoes. Um, one day they even had like uh, oh, sticky wow. rice and spicy tuna, which I, that's my number one thing I miss is sushi. So it was cool to have like sushi light, um, but the food is pretty good. Great. Not bad. Well, you said it's kind of like summer camp. You're in the ultimate basketball summer camp that you're living in right now. It's yeah. crazy. And with all of the great news that's been coming out uh, with no positive COVID tests, you may be in the safest place in the world being in that bubble. No, for sure. Like it it really is super safe. And it's such big credit to Adam Silver and all the NBA for this tremendous amount of planning. I mean, they thought about every single thing. And I'm the first to say like, before this, my whole thing was the bubble's going to start, but it's not going to finish. You know, like we're right. not going to make it to the finals. We will absolutely make it to the finals. Like there's, it's such a safe environment. And like I said, it's big, big credit to them. Everybody wears their masks. Everyone likes social distances. Everybody is taking their test every day. So it's them, but it's also the cooperation of everybody that 
is in here. Players are taking it very seriously. So it's yeah, it's great. amazing. I mean, Adam, That's Adam, amazing. Adam's amazing. I always thinking before this bubble, how would it be to be in that bubble, right? It's got to be weird from a player perspective, right? I mean, you use the hotel room, but you also have to get tested and you have to play, you know, you're in a gym that you, there's no fans, but the NBA has done a amazing job. We did one of the shows earlier and we're like, how are they going to feel? And, and at the game, right? And all you're hearing is the tennis shoe squeak and the players talking noise. So how does that feel when you go to a game? I mean, that's going to be different than what we normally used to, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. Like it's the intensity of which you can hear the players yeah. is crazy like you hear everything they say you hear them talking trash you hear the arguments they have with the refs which Ralph by the way I'll say I didn't realize like how often players mm -hmm. are talking to the refs I mean like <laughs> it's like every possession players are talking to the refs like even if it's about a call that was like I mean, 10 possessions ago, they're still talking to the refs about how they need to make sure they're watching that. Like all the time, there's so much talking taking place on the court at all times. But it's been cool to, you know, hear what LeBron is saying to his team when he's playing. You mm -hmm. know, it's here to see how Chris Paul really is a floor general on that team. Like little insights have been really oh, interesting. Amazing. What aspect of the game maybe doesn't translate to television? Because watching from home, they really do an excellent job from the logos on the court, pumping Ooh. in some crowd noise, the music. Yeah. Um, you know, it, the, the television presentation feels very similar. But being there in the arena, it must be a little different. Is there one or two things that stand out that might not translate to the TV broadcast? I mean, I would say... Well, like I said, the guys talking a lot, definitely. I don't know how clear you guys hear that. Mm -hmm. um, seeing the bench interactions is cool. Yeah. Like, since there's no fans, the benches really go crazy when their team does something well. And I don't know how well you guys see that. Sure. On the broadcasts. Um, that's probably what sticks out the most. Yeah. Yeah. That's the success. So, so tell me about you because you seem to have this passion and, and, you know, you've, I've seen you with Michael Beasley, which is a great friend of mine on, online to LeBron to <laughs> Anthony Davis on some of the videos. I would get into Puma stuff as well, but you have this family history of athletes and you have this unique passion about sports. How did that happen? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is my family. Like, my dad played football. My uncle played baseball. My mom is honestly the biggest football fan I've ever met. Um, so sports have always been, like, a really big part of my life. But more than that, I love people. Like, I love talking to people. I love having good conversations. I always say, like, the easiest thing to do is ask a question. And I've always loved asking people about things, you know, because you just have to not know something to ask a question, you know? <laughs> so I've, so I've, I've always loved that. But I think the thing that about sports that has always drawn me to it is just all of the stories around them. Mm -hmm. And for a very long time, so much of sports was focused solely on how you won, why you mm -hmm. lost. And it's been cool to see that evolve as sports media has evolved, but also how athletes have evolved through time. So I always try my best to write more about them and speak more about them and ask questions more about them because um, that's that's really what draws me to to the game. What's your best interview? You, you speak about asking questions about them. Uh, I'm sure, you know, growing up as a young lady, you know, was uh, likes the Lou Brock and everybody else that's in your family from a mother that has a passion about football as well. 
there had to be great questions that were asked with family inside of that, right? That you, you had a different perspective yeah. than most to see it from the family perspective, but then seeing it from the public perspective. And now I'm being the public eye yourself to be able to ask those questions. I see why you, 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 you like that, right? So what are some of the greatest questions that you've seen or heard or that you asked? What do you ask LeBron James outside of basketball, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I know what my best interview is. Um, I really liked my interview that I had with DeMar DeRozan in first season, in my, the first season of my show, because that was the first time I'd ever met DeMar. And it felt like he had opened up so much and told me so many things that he hadn't said at a time that was also really vulnerable because his old team right. was in the finals, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of people wouldn't even want to talk then, but he was very open. He said he was a sacrificial lamb, that they were there because of him, that he was happy for them, like all these things. And I think as an interviewer, whenever you hear somebody say, you know, I've never told anybody this, but you're like, what <laughs> is it? And he <laughs> said that he said it like three times in the interview, which was cool, but Really, I think, or at least I'm trying to push myself to do a lot of my best work here in the bubble. Like I told myself, I really want to push myself as a reporter. And I use those scrums, not as like media scrums. I ask them the same questions I ask, I would ask them if we were together one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And I think that you just kind of elicit kind of better answers when you ask direct questions. I think sometimes, and there's nothing wrong with this. I think beat writers, they're writing stories, right? That are fitting what their, what their assignment is. Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes in Scrum, the questions are broad. And when you give a broad question, they can give you a broad answer. So the more that you can ask like very pointed, direct questions, you're going to get an uh, answer that has like a lot of substance. So I tried to like, like I asked LeBron the thing that I'm like, genuinely wondering. Um, in a way that can get like a, a straight answer. Mm-hmm. Like when the whole talk was, okay, the Lakers don't look good. Are they going to be ready for the playoffs? So I was like, okay, LeBron, on a scale of one to 10, with 10 being playoff ready, where are you guys? You know, instead of like, right. what do you need right. to fix? You know, or like, mm-hmm. why are y'all struggling? Because there's just so many avenues that you could go with that, that you might not really get the answer or like a full answer that that you're, um, looking for, but I just am always trying to do that when I ask the question. Yeah, I don't it know does. If that makes and sense, I, I, can, I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. You know, because I give you a, an athlete, I can give you a candid answer, right? And I can give you a BS answer that you don't want to hear. You know, so I can yeah. say, oh, we, we need to fix yeah. our rebounding. You know, yeah, and it's like, well, yeah. I mean, everybody, you know, like everyone right. needs to fix their rebounding. It's like, what specifically? you know, is it with, with you guys, you know, or like yesterday there was a clip going around um, or during game two, when the Lakers were blowing out the Blazers, LeBron goes, we're just built different. So post game, I was like, there's a clip going around of you during the game saying we're built different. How so? Like, what are you guys made of? What makes mm-hmm. you different from the rest of the teams? You know, like, yeah, I just feel like the more that you can pinpoint something and have them expand on one topic, the better answer you'll elicit. Or like when I talked to AD, like I was like, you know, you had a great game tonight. It hasn't been like that, like a lot of the bubble. Athletes talk a lot about consistency. So what steps are you taking to make sure that the AD that everyone saw tonight is the AD you see throughout the rest of the playoffs? Mm -hmm. You know, instead of like, why was tonight different? You know what I mean? Like, I just think that the more pointed you get, the more, like the better answer you get. 
Yeah, well, you've been producing incredible content from down in the bubble. I've been w- watching all of your your journals, your diaries, oh, video diaries. You. They've been great. <laughs> and what I'm so taken aback by is your ability to kind of do two things. One, to really connect with these players as people. My, I fell in love with the game of basketball when I was a kid watching uh, NBA Inside <laughs> Stuff with Amad Rashad because you got to know who these players are away from the game. Yeah. And you're doing that exact same sort of thing, playing games with them, seeing their personalities, who they are are as as young men not just as basketball players not just talking about the x's and o's but at the same time you have been really outspoken and activist for social justice and i know so many of these players here in the bubble they have a voice and they have a platform but you've also at the same time which it's so funny it's kind of the opposite of just playing games and being lighthearted have given them an opportunity to speak on that by asking the right questions at the right time and I'm curious, what what responsibility do you feel, if any, to try to keep yeah. that part of the conversation? Because you lead that. Yes, they have the voice in the platform. Their quotes can be heard and, and shared, but you ask the right questions to keep that message in the in the media. Oh, thank you so much. No, I, I appreciate that. I mean, I think that I think I have responsibility as a black person, as a black woman to to try and do what I can to, you know, progress the movement or ask people to to talk about questions and talk about answers that will progress that movement. But I it was important for me to like do things like play games, do a vlog, but also ask about the social justice questions because this experience is so layered. Mm-hmm. You know, like yes, there's fun moments, but there's also moments where we're reminded that there is so much injustice, there's so much racism there's police brutality. Then we're also in this moment of a pandemic. We're talking about things like safety. You also have like players that miss their children, miss their families. Like there isn't just like one thing of basketball. Like there's a lot of different things about this experience and what's going on in the bubble. And I don't think that your reporting can be good if your reporting isn't complete. Mm -hmm. So I want to show like the complete experience of how people are are feeling here and players are doing what they can to talk about social justice all the time. I mean, everybody wears those black lives matter shirts still. I didn't know if it was a thing they were just doing like for that first week, you know, but it's every game, everybody has them on every game before the game, everybody kneels during the anthem and protests of racial injustice that has Mm -hmm. not ended. And I I don't think it's going to end. Um, You see, Chris Paul always wearing clothes that represent HBCUs. Mm-hmm. You have seen Donovan Mitchell wear a bulletproof vest to Man. represent people who have been killed by police brutality. Like the players are absolutely continuing this messaging, um, and the, it's it's important. It's been it's been really cool to see that you know a lot of conversations are happening on the canvas about what they can do to progress it forward even after. Yeah, you can see a sense of uh, the whole ability, like the first game you were there, everybody kneeled, right? So that had to be a little bit eerie, right? Because of the magnitude of what was going on around it in the game. How how was that? How was that seeing everybody kneel when Colin Kaepernick, you know, was there kneeling and now everybody understands the significance of that. So what what did that feel like? I mean, I think it was just, Everyone probably in there probably just had chills. It was super, obviously it was meaningful, but it also just felt so historic. You know, that every single player 
was kneeling. And I mean, it was games that had stars, you know, it was jazz Pelicans, Clippers, Lakers, first day back and everyone was kneeling. Um, it is so historic and it felt like they understood the power that they had to take a stand. And it was also cool to see the unity um, in that gesture. But I'm a person who always says like, it's great, it's great they did that. But I think what's even greater is that it's not just symbolic players are taking steps to try to improve the communities. You know, with, like I said, Chris Paul with the social change fund where he is getting money to push into communities that need it. You know, with LeBron and more than a vote, like the, the symbol is important, so important but it's also important to push it past that. And so it's been cool that players are doing that. You counted the key. I mean, that, you know, that the hub I was telling in some other interviews we had uh, on this podcast, how do we get those guys to work more together? Everybody has their own platform. Everybody talks about it, but you're there with them. And it's kind of unique that they are in the same place at the same time. Right. Because now they can talk about it Mm -hmm. also compete against each other, you know, in a high level way. Right. It's almost like, I like you today because we're doing this, but the night game time, I got to kick your tail. So it's kind of different. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, yeah, no, for sure. I think the guys though are working together. Like I, when I talked to Chris Paul, I said, you know, I know that you guys want awareness and mm-hmm. you want change, but what will had to have happened by the time this is over for you to say we were successful in those things. And he was like, a lot of different things, but mainly it's education. Like I want guys to learn a lot about different things here. So that when the bubble's over, they are still championing those causes. So guys are talking about things like financial literacy, HBCUs, police reform, education reform, police brutality, like all of those things. And that to me is where that working together comes from. That constant conversation between each other to figure out Mm -hmm. how to push things forward. Um, I do wish that like, there was maybe like Mm -hmm. workshops every day here. Maybe there are, I just don't know. Like Mm -hmm. the NBPA does a really good job of like trying to educate players on a myriad of different things. So there absolutely might be, and I don't know, but I know players are like talking amongst themselves and figuring out the different things that they can do. When this idea of the bubble was first floated and kind of came out, there were some players who were skeptical of it. Uh, I know Kyrie Irving, for example, Jalen Brown, thinking it might distract from the movement that was taking place in the streets. You saw so many NBA players at protests and marches and that basketball can be a distraction, which can be a good thing, but also can be a bad thing. I've even, I I think I heard you say you were a little skeptical uh, about should they be going back to play basketball? Has your view on that changed now that you're here, now that it's we're in it? Um, and, and if so, how? Yeah, it's changed because of the way the players have treated it. Mm-hmm. Like It's changed because this hasn't been like, okay, we're going to talk about social injustice for three days and then right. get back to just basketball. Like It's talked about every time I'm somewhere covering anything. Like It's, it's yeah. always discussed. Um, so, and listen, I see both sides. I do still see the side of playing basketball as a, a bad distraction, right? Mm-hmm. But I also see how, in some ways, this has kept it in the forefront. Mm-hmm. Like, I have seen people talk about social injustice who have never talked about it simply because LeBron talked about Breonna Taylor his whole press conference. Mm-hmm. Like, and when everybody 
kneeled during the anthem protests of racial injustice, that was talked about everywhere. So yeah. it is still bringing a lot of spotlight to things. Like, like I think, a, honestly, a good amount of spotlight. Yeah. Um, so the more that they can continue to like talk about it and talk about it, I think the less you have people that say, we shouldn't have been playing basketball because it's a distraction. So, so, so as an African-American female in that bubble and your history and family and stuff you've done with social justice and seeing these athletes down there doing it and continue to do it and having Black Lives Matters on the courts and the back of the shirts and the body of the, 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 the vest with um, everybody down there wearing something on the day by day. But what are your experiences? Because you know, as an athlete, we, we grew up in a, in a bubble anyway, right? Uh, and yeah. you don't see or exposed to some of those things. I grew up in a small town, and you know, now that I look back at certain things, I, I realize that man, that was racism over there, or that was, but I didn't feel it because we were in that bubble. So athletes yeah. really don't see that because they are somewhat coddled over their career, right? But as a young African-American female, what are your experiences? How do you see that from the athlete's perspective, but also your perspective? Yeah, I mean, I... I think racism exists in everybody's life every day, even if you don't come in like direct contact with it, it affects everything that we do, right? I think in a lot of ways, racism has affected my job. And I always, like I talk to athletes sometimes, I'm like, maybe in some ways, even if it might've been quote unquote, you know, positive, I think racism plays a role in basketball. Like in some ways it might play a role in why that ended up being your career like I was mm. I was talking to I'll say unnamed player and he's like you know what I get what you're saying because when black people say they felt like they had to play basketball to get out of a or b mm -hmm. that idea in itself is like that's because you've only seen like successful black people that are basketball players does that make sense yeah like it it is always indirectly affecting affecting something in your life. Um, and I did this series uh, with Bleacher Report that was just about racism and how Blackness has affected people's journeys. And in that, I was reflecting, like, how has maybe white privilege in some ways benefited me? Which sounds a little crazy to say, but let me explain. Mm -hmm. So I was interviewing DeMar DeRozan. And the first question I asked everybody on the show is, when did you realize that being black was different from being white? That's the, everybody's first question. And DeMar's answer, he said that when he went to college, he had a culture shock because he had never seen that many white people. Mm -hmm. And he said it was so bad that he had to live off campus because he really felt scared and uncomfortable being on a college campus. And when he said that, I was like, I guess it never struck me how being able to be in space with white people or having grown up navigating white people is a humongous advantage in life, even if you're black. Mm. Like I went to school with white people, almost all white people. I went to school in suburbs of Georgia, suburbs of Atlanta. I then went to University of Illinois, a predominantly white institution. I have been around white people all my life. And that has helped me in so many ways. And I was like, you know what, like, that is something I'm trying to be more cognizant of. Like, there's one thing that Michelle Obama talks about in her book. She's like, I'm not special. I was just afforded things. 
Like if everybody was afforded those things, life would be different for so many people. To have been afforded a lot of the things that white people were afforded, maybe that's why my life ended up the way that it did. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect. And sense. And I didn't, and I yeah, and I just I didn't really reflect on that until Demar said that, and I'm like, that's unfair. That's unfair that your proximity to whiteness mm-hmm. can help you so much more. Now, granted, like I said, I experience racism every day. Like at the end of the day, I'm a black woman that's in sports and like. Black people, I'm black before everything else. And that's how the world sees me. But yeah, I just, that, that really did like hit me. And I was like, there has to be a way to just like level that playing field for everybody, you know? Yeah. But how, wow. how do you personally overcome that? I mean, being, being black is what you are, who you are on a day by day. How do you overcome that? Yeah. I mean, I have always tried to say, like, to me, yes, being Black comes with, I would say, like, challenges or makes things harder. But I try to not see being Black as, like, an obstacle. Mm -hmm. Like, there's so many advantages to being Black to me. Like, I think I draw so much strength from my Blackness. I think that one of the reasons players feel comfortable talking is because I'm Black. Like there's a lot, of, there's so much beauty and joy and like resiliency in being black. And I always just try to keep like my mind on, on those things. Like there's, I just, there's so much about me that wouldn't be me if I wasn't black, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so just trying to, to remind myself of that every day. That's, that's actually very unique at what motivation drive you. When I, I mean, I grew up in a small town, so my high school class was 165 people. It was three black people. So me and me and two other athletes, you know, so mm-hmm. we got those you know, special privileges, as you as I would call them. But looking back, me going to the University of Virginia, you know, as I look back now, look back before, there was only ever two African-Americans on University of Virginia's basketball team at one time. And the reason being, wow. supposedly after, you know, many years of now understanding it, because most Caucasian guys didn't want to sleep with the other one on the road. So they had to pair them up. So we had one, two, or three. I brought in four, actually five African-Americans in the University of Virginia at that point in time. So I never saw it until then. I mean, we farmed with, we farmed wow. with everybody. We grew up in a small town. But back in those days, you had what we call the neighborhood, right? And nobody came to, a, you know, nobody but our family and friends came in our neighborhood. You know, Caucasian, anybody... Now it's multicultural in our neighborhood. So it's changed over the year dramatically and seeing uh, you grow up and understand where you're from and having kids myself to understand where they are. My oldest son was in Atlanta when the riots were going off. He was just going downtown having fun hanging out. Like, dude, you're six foot eleven. You know? Yeah. You can't you can't you can't go down yeah. downtown Atlanta and just go to the riots because you know some some police guys will pick right. you up and he like right now so yeah. he didn't understand it because he was he wasn't raised the same way. So I mean, your background, your history, your, your heritage, your family obviously has taught you well. And it's unique to see your perspective of the bubble, also perspective of life, being an African-American woman and seeing where you go. So I'm shifting a little bit to the to the woman in media and then the Puma. I saw you with, you know, I'm, I'm a endorsed Puma as well. I was one of the first athletes with Puma. So you look very oh, good nice. in your Puma gear when I saw that picture. <laughs> so, so tell me about that forum. No, they now have some cute stuff. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you were on a, you were in their panel, and how did that go? Tell me a little bit about that experience. 
Yeah, no, it was great. Like, you know, Puma is always trying to make sure that they, you know, keep women in the spotlight. They have such mm-hmm. a dedicated women's line and sap that I think is just as good as the men's line. You know, sometimes when people have right. separate lines, the women kind of get left behind. Mm-hmm. But Puma's line is is incredibly, incredibly well done. The the um panel that I did was all about spotting women, spotlighting women. Um, and that was, that was nice. It was only women there, which is just nice to be in spaces sometimes that are just women, (laughs) but they wanted to make sure that they curated that. And so I'm just so thankful that they, that they allowed me to do that. It was like Katie Lou Samuelson, Danny Lang, and they were just talking about different things that that they have gone through and why they feel like the Puma brand reflects their values. They changed over the years. So 1976, when, uh, at the Olympics, when the guy stood up and had a black power sign out, that's kind of the culture and history. So Puma's on the cutting edge of all that, trying to figure it out, but uh, they're not as big as Nike or the yeah. other brands, but they're, they're climbing leather. So I appreciate you doing that because I, I talk to them pretty much every day. No, absolutely. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I love Puma. And it's cool because Puma is really inserting themselves into just like lifestyle right. and culture. Like there's some mm-hmm. really cool athletes that are, that are wrapped yeah. by Puma. Totally. Now, as a woman in sports, do you feel that you've had to work even harder than some men get the luxury afforded to them to be treated fairly and taken seriously. Oh, for sure. Like we can't be bad at the job. Like that's (laughs) why I think it's funny. Like everyone's like, Oh, you're only here because you're a woman. or Oh, you're only here because like you're cute or blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like the women that are in sports aren't allowed to be bad at the job. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of men that are in sports that aren't great. But they're allowed mm. to be there because they're men and the default. Like who? Men. Like who? We love- <laughs> <laughs> and they're allowed to be here because the default is that men know sports. Like that's mm-hmm. that's where the baseline thinking is, like is man. And mm-hmm. then the woman who knows it is perceived as special, right? Like I yeah. have so much like love and admiration for every single woman who is doing sports because it's not a cliche to say that you have to work twice as hard. We aren't afforded mistakes. Mm-hmm. If one woman messes up something, it's like every single woman messed up. Like it's it's really crazy. Like the way yeah. social media is for women in sports, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like I think we have to stop this thinking of like the male always being the default. Because I think that's where a lot of things go. And not just in like in sports, like not just for journalists, like the way that when we say basketball, we mean men's basketball. But there's also women's basketball. Women's basketball, we have to say women's basketball, Mm -hmm. you know? And I understand so much of that is society and what we've heard. And it's not like anybody is wrong when they say it. I just would hope people realize what that means. Like, whatever the default is, is the standard. And right now, men are the standard person in the world. Just like, in a lot of ways, whiteness is the default or standard in the world. Like, White people are just American. Mm-hmm. Everything else gets a hyphen. Right. Like I'm African American. It's like mm-hmm. I'm American. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so just the more I think we think about the words that we use and what we're thinking of when we use them, it's a small thing, but I do mm-hmm. think it would be it'd be really important to to get how men are always like steps ahead. Because the world has been created for them to be steps ahead. Well, I always debate people. So am I African-American or am I Black-American? Or Jason, right. you know, 
white American Pam Elliot Hood on this on our show. What are you? And then you got these paperwork things you fill out with your DMV, and you got to say label who you are. So you already labeled me before I even start. And so yeah. it's become crazy to see how we get labeled. All of us get labeled and put in those buckets when we just all Americans, you know, or all no, whatever we absolutely. are, right? So it's 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 crazy to hear that in the in the media world as well. I mean, I know a lot of people in that media world where you are a woman journalist or you're a woman, you know, activist, you're a woman, whatever. Tell me about, I mean, because obviously this week with the conventions going on as well, when you see Kamala Harris, you know, now being labeled mm -hmm. that she wasn't born in this country or there's a new T-shirt out that I won't mention because it's negative to her. But how do you feel about that and kind of how does she inspire, even Michelle Obama, you know, her inspiration as well to the to the woman world? Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's so silly. It's like, why it has this whole like birther thing come back up. Like she is obviously able to be president. She is incredibly experienced. Like that is, she is more experienced than the person in office now. <laughs> so it's mm -hmm. like to be, to even be torn down about anything is just like so ridiculous. Like that's a black woman. That's what she identify, identifies as. That's also what the world sees her as. Like in so many ways you are like what the world sees you as and I think the world sees her as a black person um but as far as her Michelle Obama Michelle Obama is like I love Michelle Obama I have read Becoming like four times it's like my favorite book but one thing she says that like always sticks out to me is how she there was this like stereotype of her as like the angry black woman but she's like what we really don't realize is that stereotypes are cyclical because when you're calling me the angry black woman why wouldn't I get angry and so like the more that we like recognizing the way we're treating people is almost making them become this self-fulfilling prophecy. Like mm -hmm. it, it's it's so important to, to recognize that. And she's like, and then I was like, you know, what thing is making you more angry? The angry, the black or the woman? You know, like what part of it is the most upsetting to you? Mm -hmm. um, but Michelle Obama just did such a great job of navigating like America, navigating her new role, being such a great example to so many people, like staying herself, like keeping it real. Yeah. Like she really uh, is like the greatest first lady. I, I just, I yeah, right, good, good, good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Michelle Obama. Is there, if you could interview anyone in the world, you've interviewed so many incredible people. I mean, uh, name an athlete. You've, yeah. you've spoken to almost all of them. Is is there someone in the sports world or maybe beyond? Maybe it's Michelle Obama that if you could interview anyone, have a sit down with to, to come on uh, your show, to come on Take It There, who would you want? No, I mean, like, it's definitely Michelle. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've always said I thought it'd be so cool to, like, interview Michelle Obama, but, like, in a hair salon while we get our <laughs> hair done. Mm -hmm. Like, because black women and hair is like such a thing. Mm -hmm. um, and like that, I don't want to say like that transformation that happens when you're getting your hair done, but showing a black woman in their most like raw state, your natural hair, and like mm -hmm. having that interview happen as we get our hair done, I think can be really, really cool. That's like the, to me, like what could be really cool interviewing Michelle Obama. Because also, because we always see her so perfect. Like right. her hair is perfect. She's done up. Like what's that transition? You know, who was Michelle before she becomes Michelle Obama, right, right. you know? Right. 
Um, becoming. Becoming. Exactly. Yeah, becoming. Yeah. <laughs> right. becoming yes. Yeah. So that's like one day I want to interview Michelle Obama. It doesn't have to be in the hair salon, just in, for the production okay. value. That's why I love to do it. Um, yeah. I love to interview three. Serena. Love mm. Serena. I love to interview Tom Brady. Huh. Mm. Um, those are the ones, those are the ones that really stick out. Yeah. Well, I have no doubt that you set your goals to anything. You're going to make it happen. So <laughs> we want to. Yeah, I need. Yeah. I need everybody on the call to cross their fingers. Uh, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, with we your background, you. with your, you know, where you grew up and your motivation, because you have that thing. You know, that when the, you know, Kobe talk about the mama mentality or whatever, something somewhere. Parents tell them I said hello. They, they gave you that mentality that I can sense as an athlete that you have. Oh, that's so nice. So I think you are, you know, I can see your passion. I can see your motivation and drive. So the bubble is just a special place. I'm glad you're there to experience that. But it's just Thanks. the way you approach it. And then thank you again for being on here. But uh, I don't know if you have any other questions, Jason, but I'm just feeling that whole you know, vibe with her as far as what she's going to do. And I look forward to your future and more stuff. And Thank you. If we can be able to help, I'm sure we will be. But anything you want to ask us as an athlete or a, a, another guest commentator, Jason has been all over the world doing stuff, but what would you ask us? Yeah. I mean, I think I have a question for you, Ralph, which is just like, how have you seen media change when you were playing <laughs> to now? Well, you know, back mm -hmm. in those days, we only had two media. Two, we had a, a, a good reporter, a bad reporter. You know, the one paper was a good reporter, <laughs> yeah. a bad yeah. reporter, and they would always write stuff to engage us. So that was that. There wasn't social media. There wasn't ESP, you know, ESPN that much in my college days, just beginning NBA days that came along as well. And, you know, it's amazing because we had probably 20 people total in the organization, you know, from players to coaches to staff to front office people. If you had 25 people, that was it. Now there's 425 or, you know, with everybody's going on as well. So it's changed dramatically over the years. Yeah. Um, I came in the NBA in 1983 and every city I went into, I had to have a reporter there because of the story of the NBA at that point in time. So it's changed a thousand percent. Um, and the story that you can hear now, like you said, you know, I was very quiet and shy when I got to college and I would answer questions, yes or no. And, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to get this out of me at that point in time. So it's changed that way for me as well. But yeah. the things you do with the question, because a reporter is just going to ask a basic question. And I'm going to say yes or no. I'm going to give you a basic answer. But back then, there was not many Americans in, in, in reporting, newspapers or, or TV, uh, very few. Um, and so we, just like you said, we would want that reporter to come and interview us because we would give them more information because they look like us and they like us and they yeah. would ask those inside type questions that Jason mentioned inside stuff. It was more informative with Amar Bishad because he knew how to ask the question in a way mm -hmm. where he's going to pull something out of you and you trusted him. So this is one mm -hmm. thing you said earlier in the interview that you know, Brian, those guys trust you. And that you're not going to, you know, make some crazy statement out there that will lead to something that they have to kind of back up and and, and defend at that point in time. So that's it's a difference today than it was then. That's a great answer. I've I've always like wondered that even watching things like The Last Dance and seeing how the media works <laughs> and like that's so it's a different now. But no, that's great. Well, it's cool that now you're 
asking people questions. Well, yeah, I like the, I like the inside <laughs> question. Yeah. I like I like to get to the core of who you are and then get those questions, you know, yeah. answered because there's more to you than just reporting. You know, you're a young, beautiful lady, you you, you climb the ladder and you're doing things and you, you know, special person, but you are, you know, in, on the right track for sure. Thank you. That's that's so nice. I enjoy I enjoyed this. This was so yeah. fun. I might start yeah. my day. <laughs> well, we, we're going to ask you one last question oh, before you get out of here. Yeah. It's, our, it's our last segment we always do with all of our guests. And it's an opportunity for you to pay homage to someone who might have inspired you along your journey to help get you to where you are today and the levels of success that you've achieved. Maybe it's someone that we know or maybe it's someone that we've never heard of before, but someone that you want to thank uh, that helped you get to where you are and pay homage to. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I definitely have to say my mom and my dad. Um, just growing up, I realized like now that I'm, you know, older, I realized how important everything that they would say to me growing up was like every single day they would say, you can do anything if you put your mind to it. So I always truly, truly believed that every day. My dad would ask me if I was a leader or a follower today, like every day they would just say things to instill like you can be in the world the thing that you want to be as long as you treat people well you make smart decisions like that and i've i've just always thought that like it, there was never a doubt in my mind that i could do whatever i wanted to and i owe a lot of that to them and it's funny cuz like as you get older like i realize how much me and my mom have to like you know when you're younger you don't realize how much you act like you're now she does stuff and says stuff and i'm like oh my god that's me like i have turned into her uh and you know then the older you get the more you become like best Mm -hmm. friends with your parents so Mm -hmm. i'm just so thankful for them for loving me for caring so deeply for me for believing in me um so it's it's definitely my mom and my dad very special Uh, tell them i said hello well that's great that's that's very special and, I and, will. And you, I you, definitely you, and, will. Trust me. They listen to everything. Right. They will listen to and, this. And you're not old. Oh, you're 27 years old. You're yeah. still young. So you, you, got, you know, you're just beginning. <laughs> just beginning. Yeah. That's right. You are just beginning. We can't wait to see what's next for Taylor Rooks and keep the great content coming from the bubble. We're living vicariously through you. We wish we could all be there experiencing it, but you do an amazing job of capturing what it's actually like to live and feel and uh, see all the storylines in the bubble that don't just take place on the court, but the behind the scenes access that you give has been a real treat. So I definitely recommend to all of our listeners to follow you, Taylor Rooks, but also to uh, to check it out on Bleacher Report and Absolutely. on YouTube. Oh, I appreciate that so much, Jason. Thank you guys both for having me. This was, this was fun. <laughs> Ralph, it was great chatting with Taylor. I've been a fan of her content for years and now getting to really know her as as a person a little bit more uh, is going to make me want to follow her even more. Yeah, I mean, I've seen her around. You see her face. You see some interviews with her, et cetera, online. And now understanding who she is, I mean, you see why she is as good as she is and the sky's the limit for her. She's an amazing young lady. 
She's definitely, she's great to follow. So I recommend everyone check her out on, on Instagram and Twitter at Taylor Rooks. She's doing an incredible series uh, documenting all the behind the scenes of what it's like down there in the bubble. Uh, and I actually, I heard from our previous guest, Andy Bernstein, yeah. who's down in the bubble now too. He flew down there, didn't have to wear a hazmat suit like uh, his wife wanted him to, to get down there. But Well, he was he, close. Uh, he, he, was, sent, he sent you a picture and you sent it to me. It was close. He had the mask on, he had the shield on, he had the yeah. glasses on. So I hope he had his hand sanitizer with him as well. He made it there safely, and he's, he's now in quarantine in the bubble uh, as he gets ready to document uh, the rest of the NBA playoffs and into the finals. And the playoffs, you know, well underway now. It's been a lot of fun to watch. Ralph, what has impressed you the most uh, from the NBA playoffs so well, far? As I mentioned on one of our previous shows, the intensity level has increased. Mm-hmm. Damon Lillard is on, on, off the chart right now. I don't know if yeah. anybody's going to be able to stop him. So he's found his groove in the bubble. And as we mentioned to Taylor, the lifestyle in the bubble, you know, it takes about two or three weeks to get used to, but now they're in their groove. And the, I'm, I'm really shocked of the intensity level of the games now because everybody knows they plan for something. And yeah. so that's the game that, you know, I'm the cream will rise to the top and you'll see who those teams are. And it's just been so fun. It feels like March Madness where these games yeah, don't overlap. Yeah. It's four games a day, back to back to back to back. Uh, it has been uh, I mean, really for, exciting. For basketball junkies, you got a game at 130. I mean, every day you got something going on game-wise. So exactly, like yeah. you, you, know, you don't have to wait till Monday and Tuesday to play Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday like the normal NBA playoffs. You got games two, three, four games a day, all day long. So, you know, if everybody's got to be in a bubble, you know, at home as well. Yeah, watch basketball. And then, as we said, with Taylor, the NBA and Adam Silver, I mean, it's amazing what they have done. Um, It really is. It's safe. It's it's clean. Everybody's healthy. And I commend the NBA and love what they've done there with the players as well. Well, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun for me watching all this basketball. I think my wife's going to kill me because I'm watching four games a day. So, uh, you know, it's research. It's for the podcast. That's what I got to say. Yeah, right? I'm still yeah. – I'm, I'm <laughs> the game is not bad and I'm playing hard, then I'll, I'll click. I'll go somewhere else to do something else. And office, <laughs> I have a TV as well. So I'm like, okay, I'm watching, but I'm not watching. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, a game's about to tip off right now. So thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Center Court. We really appreciate your support. Uh, we want to hear from you, too. So comment on Instagram and Twitter at Center Court 50, Ralph Sampson 50, Jay-Z Fish. Let us know who you want to hear on the show because we've got some great guests coming up, but we're always looking for suggestions. So we want to hear from you, too. Thanks again for joining us to another episode, and we will see you for more Center Court real soon. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. 
Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.